2 Kings chapter 2. We began 2 Kings last week. And if you remember, really in the original scroll, 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings were all one book. It was really just kings. And it gave the history from Saul, the first king, all the way to Zedekiah, the last king of the northern tribe. And we're going to be saying goodbye to Elijah and seeing the mantle, they speak, handed to Elisha, his son in the faith, as Timothy was called by Paul, we see this same thing going on in the Old Testament, which is our foundation to the New Testament. So as we were closing, if you remember, this is, this is amazing to me. Now I want you to see, there's times when God does what's called new beginnings. And we see in the Bible when there's a new beginning that God really does punish sin in a, in a crazy way, with what we would call crazy. Like when the, the uh, priesthood was being started, Nadab and Abihu got drunk in the temple, and they were the priest Aaron's sons. And God struck them dead instantly because he was starting a brand new priesthood, and he wanted the purity of it. You know, when the church was being birthed in Acts, we see Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit, and because God wanted to keep the church pure, they both fell down dead, and they carried them off and buried them. Well, here we see that as we open up 2 Kings, remember 1 Kings, the tribes have been separated. God's judging, and we're seeing the destruction of the nation of Israel, and God's judging them. So there was a division of the 11 tribes that go to the north and the one tribe that, that come from King David and Solomon and uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam have this split and really, the only tribe left in the southern, what we call southern, or Judah, and I don't mean to give you all this syntax, but you need to understand, every time we see in 2 Kings Israel, it really means the northern 11 tribes, or 10 and a half, because half the tribe of Benjamin is with Judah, and half the tribe is with the north. But Jeroboam built these two golden calves, and he put one in Bethel and one in Samaria. And, and he wanted to keep the northern tribes from going back to Jerusalem and being one back to that area. So they're worshiping golden calves and they're practicing idolatry. And um, he is um, credited for that rebellion. Well, of course, we know it's the devil. But in Judah, we're going to see again Jehoshaphat's on the throne, Asa's son. But in the northern kingdoms, Ahab was killed. Remember, he wanted to go to battle against Syria. <clears throat> and Ahab doesn't have a son. So we've seen at the end here, excuse me, he had Ahaziah, his only son. And Ahaziah was killed. Ahaziah doesn't have a son. And so Joram becomes, who's just uh, another son. And we see the end of Ahab's entire lineage gone. And God had promised he would do that. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? But here's the, the, the strange thing. I just want to give you a little bit of review. What happened? Ahaziah, he's on the throne. 
He probably got drunk. He fell through some lattice. He landed. He thinks he's sick. He's going to die. He's injured. He sends couple messengers to go find out and he sends them to Beelzebub the god of Ekron which is the lord of death or the lord of flies and on the way Elijah stops him and says go tell the king he's going to die why is he sending to a pagan god is there no god in Israel and they go back and so then the king sends these 50 soldiers with a commander and they say, man of God, to Elijah. And he goes, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and kill you. And you're 50 men. Poof, they're burnt up. And you go, oh my goodness. What is going on here? Well, remember, Elijah's the prophet of fire from, from uh, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, the Mount Carmel victory, where 850 prophets of Baal were killed. So instead of them learning, they send another 50. Same thing happens king tells them come down here quickly and they don't respect the man of god they don't respect the word of god they don't respect god at all because they're looking for Baal. and fire comes down and kills that 50 and then you see the third 50 with the commander go and what does he do he humbles himself he uses wisdom he comes and bows down and says please have mercy on us he's on his knees before elijah and he besought him, he pleaded with him, and said, Man of God, please let my life be spared, and these 50 that I'm leader over, let them be precious in your sight. And he comes and he shows respect for the word of God, and the man of God, and he has the respect, and he doesn't die. His 50 doesn't die. And this is you and I. See, there's mockers everywhere. There's mockers everywhere in the world. They hear the word of God. They'll hear what God has said. They know that, that God is coming back to take the chosen home. And they'll mock and they'll scoff. And they don't want to hear the word of God. And you know what? One day fire is going to. God's not going to destroy it with the flood again. He's going to destroy it with fire. Fire can burn the impurities out of our life. Fire can, can consume the sin from our life and purify us. Or fire can judge and fall upon us in judgment and cast us into hell. We want the consuming fire that purifies us, that makes us more like Christ. We don't want the judgment. And we, if we know Jesus, there's no judgment for us. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no judgment, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Same chapter that 8.14 is, as many as are the children of God, they're the ones that are led by the Spirit of God. So anyway, that happens. And so the Lord comes and says, Elijah, go down. And this is what I wanted to end with. Elijah goes down and he gives the same message to Ahaziah. It's um, 1.16 of 2 Kings. Then he said to him, listen, the word didn't change a bit. All of this other fire has come down, but the word is still, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Same announcement. Listen to me, people. Same announcement to our planet today. Are you looking to God for help or the government? Are you looking to God and His Word and His salvation, His provision from Jesus Christ and the blood? 
Or are you thinking that somebody else is going to help you? Is there no God in Israel? Israel means those governed by God. Remember Jacob? Supplanter, deceiver, that was his name. And God changed his name to Israel, one governed by God. And the church is supposed to be governed by God, by the word of God, by the spirit of God. Is there no God in, in, in the church that we would go to the world for help instead of going to God? If, if we do, we won't come down from our bed either, so to speak. We will not escape the judgment of fire. You can't go to the world. You can't go to religion. You can't go to psychology. You can't go to AA or NA or any of these programs and get help for what ails you. You will sure enough surely die. God said in the day that you eat from that tree, you will die. The only hope is God's provision. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Then you can have a new bed. Then you can have a new home. Then you can have a new place to go. Then you can have life. And that more abundantly. Notice this. I, I, I was reading this and I put a note in this. And I my Bible looks like I played Battleship with an ink pen because I draw lines out every place. But notice this. Notice that nothing that Ahaziah the king said was recorded. Because you've got to imagine if this dude is, is prideful enough and arrogant enough to send some people and say, tell that prophet to come down here. Tell him to come down here quickly. And he does it three times. In his arrogance, you've got to know that when Elijah come down and said, God said, you're going to die. You've got to know that he said something. But none of it's recorded because nothing that he says helps. Nothing that he says means anything because he has no authority. God said, you're going to die. That's it. That's the end of the story. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. So nothing that you've got as an excuse is even going to be heard. There's going to be nothing to argue with at the judgment seat. Either we believe in the blood and we follow by faith, or we listen to some other lying voice and we're deceived, and we make that choice our own self. It's either these 66 books by 40 authors that are all God-breathed, and they're perfect, they're inerrant, or we listen to the government tell us and we march to the beat of their drum. 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. So we see fire. And don't forget, Elijah means the Lord is God. His very name means the Lord is God. And he's a very faithful servant. And, and it actually, you would think because of his Mount Carmel victory that Elijah was the, was the greater prophet. But really, Elisha that we're getting ready to get introduced to, we got introduced in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, when he called him to follow him. He was training him. He was teaching him. He came underneath his authority, underneath Elijah's authority. It's called discipleship. We see it today in the church. We're going to see the faithfulness of Elisha. So, you close, 118 says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, uh, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Notice again, kings of Israel. Because you would think, and I would think, if I went to First and Second Chronicles, which is our next two books, that I would see something about Ahaziah. No. First and Second Chronicles is only about the kings of Judah. 
Because what are we following from the Bible from the beginning to the end? We're following Jesus. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. What the northern tribes did really don't matter that much, except we see their example of how they rejected God and they walked away from God and they worshiped false idols and they went into captivity and bondage. And we ought not to follow what they're doing, but listen to the word of God. So <coughs> when it says book of Chronicles, we don't have those books in our Bible. We have first and second Chronicles and it tells us everything about uh, the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah, and their kings. Which is actually a continuation of kings. Actually, it can be called that, yes. So now chapter 2, and let's move forward. And it came to pass, got to stop there, you guys know me, if you've been with me any time, isn't that cool that it came to pass? Everything that God says will come to pass. And whatever's going on in your life right now, what was going on last year? Stop and think about it. What was going on last year? What was those big problems that you had going on? You're like, oh, it's a mountain. It's going to kill me. It's not going to happen. How many people were scared to death? How many people were hiding? Listen, there's a lot of stuff that we fear for. There's a lot of stuff we should be concerned about. But this, too, will come to pass. It's going to pass. God's going to put us through some tests. We're going to go through some hard times. And it doesn't matter what happens. You have to keep your eyes fixed upon God. Faith keeps their eyes fixed upon God, no matter what the prognosis, no matter if there's a death in the family, no matter what's going on, God's got all of this. This is His planet. He's already spoken. He's already told us what's going to happen. And we have to understand, it hurts. It's painful. It might be suffering. We might not understand it, but you, in faith and living for God, you have to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. You keep doing the natural and allow him to do the supernatural. The devil wants us to get our eyes off of it because of the pain and the suffering and the problem. But God allows us to go through it. Why? Deuteronomy 8.2, these 40 years that you have been in the wilderness, to test you and to try you so that you might know what is in your heart. See, God wants us to see our own heart. Why? Because it's deceitfully wicked. And he already knows what's in our heart, but he wants us to see it and then to choose to say, wow, that's in my heart, God. Forgive me. Lead me out. Help me follow your spirit. And we begin to surrender our hearts to him, and he makes all things new. Are you here with me? But what happens is, is the devil blames God, and something bad happens, and we go, I ain't follow. I tried to follow God. It didn't work. And we, we fail the test. And we go following ourselves or the devil again. But with God, if you really have the Spirit of God in you, the fail is not forever because He'll complete the work He started in you until the day of Christ Jesus, until Jesus is perfected in you, till you see Him face to face. Now, you might go out and go through a lot of things. You might even perish. You might go to sleep. You might die. But God will finish His work if you're His. And you can trust him. So here's the, the plan. No matter what's going on. Now you might get shaken for me. Go, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to get my eyes back on Jesus. I got to get my eyes back on what he's doing. He was just testing my heart. He was just trying my heart. He was burning it with fire to bring it out so I will see it. And I will begin to follow him. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the children of God. And right now, he sent his spirit back to live in our heart, to cut away, to build up, and to give us wisdom and teach us and guide us so that we can become transformed into the image of God. Isn't that where we started in the garden? Let us create man in our image. That's what God's still doing. He hasn't changed his plan. His plan has not changed one bit. He already knew that sin was going to enter. He already knew what was going on. He already knew he was sending his son. He already knew he was going to die for us. He already knew because he's outside of time. So he already knows those who chose him. He already knows the decisions you made, and yet he's still letting you make those decisions right now. And he has before you life and death, blessing and curse, whether we'll choose Jesus and choose to be led by the Spirit or deceived and we follow some other voice. So it came to pass. I love it. Sorry, I had to camp out on it. When the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now remember, since chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elisha, when he, he was plowing the field, and Elijah come along and he threw his mantle, because God told him to, he threw his mantle on Elisha's plow and said, follow me. Elisha looks around, and everybody's looking for a teacher. In this culture, that's what they did. The disciples were kicked out of school and went back to their own jobs of fishing and different stuff. And that's why it's so important when Jesus comes along and says, follow me. They go, wow, a rabbi that wants us to follow him. Because the other ones didn't want us to follow him, and they sent us home from school. They didn't fit in at Hebrew high. And so here, this same thing was already going on Old Testament just a foundation to the New Testament. And Elisha says, Elijah, hey, can I say goodbye to my family first? And he goes, what do you have to do with me? I didn't do anything. And so he's saying yes. And he goes and he, he burns his plow. He kills his oxen and he roasts them. And he makes a big meal for his family. He burns all the bridges. There's no going back. He knows that he's given his life to God. He knows that he's going to follow the prophet. He knows that he's going to be trained to be a prophet. And he's not looking back. So he burned all the bridges. He got rid of all of his property and he went forward. He committed his life to be discipled by Elijah. So now he's still following here. But what's it say? That, that, that he knew that God was getting ready to take him up. Now don't miss it because this is a type of rapture. Just like when Enoch was walking with God, Genesis 5, Enoch was walking with God, and then he was no more because God took him. He's your type of rapture. So, Elisha knows what's going on. And you know what? Just listen to me. The reason I say it's a type of rapture, and, and the reason I tell you that it's imperative, and it's going to come to pass, because God said he's going to take the chosen home. And the rapture is getting ready to happen in the church. If you don't see the evil one world government coming, that's the devil's government that's coming. Not in America, in the world. We can't be so myopic to where we think everything is only about America. That's the pride that is destroying America. That type of pride. See, because when God blesses you, then you go, look at me. That's what America's doing. This is about the world. If we're Christians, it's about a spiritual battle for the souls of the world, not America. 
It just so happens that we're being attacked pretty hard and, and, and that there was an election that was stolen and, and they're setting up their seat and they're starting to use the, the, the governance that was already going on that got interrupted. But it's one world government to set up a need where we'll need a savior and then the devil's going to bring his antichrist as the savior and lying signs and wonders will follow and people that don't know this word will choose the antichrist. Antichrist means instead of Christ. So you want to know that he sent you, that he has called you, that he died for you, and you want to have a relationship with him because my sheep know my voice and they follow me, Jesus said. So we want to be clear that we don't want to get left behind. We don't want to end up following the Antichrist. We want to be led by the Spirit, following close behind following the spirit of truth. So Elijah means the Lord is God, but Elisha means God is my salvation. Isn't that nice? Elisha means God is my salvation. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. He's following him. Now the sons of the prophets, see that? There's more prophets. The sons of the prophet, probably some type of a school in Bethel where they're being trained, who were at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. You might have a different version. The King James says, uh, uh, be at peace. Hush. Keep quiet is what it means. Now listen to me. And the King James also says there at the end of three, where it says, take away your master from over you. Very important that you understand what these words mean. That's why I circle them. Over is not over in the King James or in the Greek. In the Greek, it says from head. Head, your captain, your chief. Head is always your authority. Like your instructor. The captain of the ship. See, over you is a little different. But when you start talking about head, headship is what the church is about. Right? The Father is the head. Jesus was given headship. He's the head of all principality and power. And then he gives headship to the, the husband in the home. Then he gives headship in the church to a pastor. Headship is very important because it speaks of authority. So we just kind of change that word and we have an attack on the word of God because it just says over you. Like your overseer, like maybe your boss at work, like you could be rebellious against him. But see, that shows your heart. When you're rebellious against your head, when you're rebellious against your boss, you're showing your heart. And God wants you to see that that's just coming out to test you and to try you. So you know where your heart's at. Because all of this is about rebellion in the garden. And when we get saved, we don't stay in rebellion. We come to Jesus and we begin to be at peace with all men as far as we're able. 
One of the hardest lessons you're ever going to learn because we're in America of pride. We're under culturanity and the American dream. And if you don't like it, you can just go somewhere else. But the greatest lesson is going to be learned in submitting to authority. The greatest lesson is going to be learned in, in finding out who is your head and how do I submit to that because then I get to die to myself. And when you die to yourself, God will lift you up. When you humble yourself, God will lift you up. This is the way he recreates us and gives us new life is when we understand headship. See, in America, in our culture, in everything that we're learning, there is no head. Anybody can be the head. But wait a minute. In God's economy, he has already assigned heads. He's already given men gifts. He's already said who leads what. And it would behoove us to learn what his word says about leadership and to follow what he says. Because I'm here to tell you, uh, just like I've always said, even if I tell you to do the wrong thing, and it's not a crime or sin, and I say, well, let's move these chairs or do this or that or the other thing, and you rebel and say, no way, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble with God. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is, and it's going to tear your heart up. Because you're going to teach your heart that it can rebel against authority. And I've always said, when my pastor would tell me to dig ten holes, I would go, I had the three-time thing with Tom. And I'd say, but Tom, we don't need them holes. And he'd say, dig them, Greg. And I'd go, but Tom, they're going to fill up with water. He'd say, dig them, Greg. I'd say, but, okay, Tom, I'll go dig them. And I'd go dig them. And God will bless me for my obedience to headship, even if it's the wrong thing to do and we never use the holes. We're training our hearts, just like you would train little children, to obey authority. That's why you spank them. You don't spank them to hurt them. You spank them to train them. But then the world makes a law that says you can't spank your children. Why? Because God says spank them. God says get their attention. God says make sure they know that it's their heart that you're after. Because if you let them develop that habit, their heart becomes rebellious. Their conscience doesn't hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they learn to run buck wild it's going to take a long time for them to surrender. They're going to get to a place at the end of their rope is what we call it. Where their head bounces off the cement. But what do we do as parents? What do we do? We continue to put a pillow underneath their head. And that's why we need the wisdom of God to train our children. We need the wisdom of God to build the body of Christ in the church. How have we walked away? Because everybody gets to start their own church. Everybody gets to be the head. Everybody gets to do what they want. All you got to do is go to seminary and God will make you a pastor. What if God didn't call you to be a pastor? How can the world start a school and say, here it is, you get to be this, you get to be that? What if God didn't say that? You'll find yourself out there and, and you're really supposed to be uh, uh, an evangelist and you're out there doing some other job. We train our children. What do you want to be when you grow up? No, 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 no. What does God want you to be when you grow up? Listen to me. This is very important stuff because we're losing it, not just in the, not just in the world, but the church. The church has lost it. And about 99% of the church is following sociology and Marxism and the government anyway, and they're looking for their orders from this world in businesses and budgets and buildings. But I digress, and I'm going to go back to the text. So it's head, not just over, but head, the authority in your life. That's, that's exactly when Elijah threw his mantle on Elisha's uh, uh, oxen and his 
plow and he decided that he was going to follow Elijah, he knew that he was now his head, his discipler, his teacher, and that it was from God. And he knew that he needed to commit and surrender and listen or he would be in his own heart, in his own rebellion, doing his own thing very quickly. So watch this. It's going to happen three times again. Remember, three times he's going to tell him, stay here and wait, and I'm going to go here. What's he trying to do? He's testing Elisha to see if he's going to keep his commitment, even when he has permission to do something else. Listen, that's the grace of God. We believe in Jesus. The grace of God is there. You can go do that, but just because you can don't mean you should. You can have permission and you can say forgiveness, but your heart should be, I've already made a commitment to follow. I've already made a commitment to do this. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to go where I'm sent. But what does the church do today? Oh, I don't have to. I'm not going then. I don't have to read my Bible. I'm not going to then. See, you made a commitment to give your life to Jesus. And Jesus said, get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Be my bride. It's just like saying, I do for a wedding and never doing it. Because that's what salvation is. It's a wedding where two people at the same place say the same thing and agree to the same set of facts. And they say, I will. And guess what? God is faithful because he can't deny himself. And we are unfaithful. And we always deny God if we do it in our flesh. And he gives us that grace. He gives us, he says, all right, just wait here. And we have to keep doing what God has already called us to do, regardless of circumstances. That's what you're going to see here. Elisha does not listen to the head when he tells him to stay here because he knows his commitment is to follow. He's being tested. He's being tried to see if his heart really wants to follow or if he just thinks, I'll just hang out and make it easy for myself. See, he could have been tempted to stay there with the sons of the prophets who are at these other places because they're being trained and he could have stood around and told stories and acted like he was somebody special. Yeah, I've been hanging out with Elijah. Y'all want to hear my stories? But his calling was to keep committed, to keep following, not to stop. Verse 4, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, notice why he's doing it, because of the Lord. As the Lord lives, that's first. As your soul lives, as you're alive, that's second. He's discipling me. I will not leave you. Because he made a commitment. Because he made a commitment to follow. See, there's no loyalty today. So they came to Jericho. There's no loyalty in the world today. Whoever is the highest bidder, whatever is what, whatever I feel like this morning when I get up, that's good old-fashioned rebellion in flesh. We made a commitment to God. He made a commitment to us. He's keeping his part, yet we do what we want. And we've been handed this by culturality. We've been handed this by a church that says, you can do what you want. You're free. No, you've been set free to follow Jesus, not free to sin, not free to follow anything you want. You've been set free from the bondage and the penalty of sin to follow God, to tell people about God, to go on mission with God. We're not free to do any sin we want and live any way we want. Will we sin? Yes, we will fall short. But we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to confess it and then keep following. Verse 5, same thing happens. Now the sons of the prophets were in Jericho, came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know? Of course I know. 
that the Lord will take away your master from over you today. Now it's master over your head. Master means your sovereign, your Lord, your owner, your controller. We're seeing more the commitment that he made as he followed. And this was always in this culture. It should be in the church culture. I remember when I first got saved and and I knew that God called me to Harvest Chapel. I know he called me to himself, but then I was also in a body of people that I know God called me to that. And somebody came and they offered me a job at Trinity Mission. And they go, I know you're called. You're supposed to come. And you're supposed to be our men's program manager. And I, I said, well, let me pray about it. I'll pray about it. And I prayed about it. And I called him and I said, listen, I, I know I'm called to God. And I know I'm called to Harvest Chapel. I said, but I'll work for you for a while. But I don't know that I'm called to be there. And we'll find out. And so I was there for a couple years. And then I was called to be a pastor. And that, see, because God sometimes has training grounds and seasons where you do follow and you learn great, great amounts as he tests your heart and he tries your heart and you learn to be faithful because in that faithful with the little, he makes you head over a lot. But you have to be faithful in the little things, picking up the piece of paper, washing the toilet, taking care of people, calling them back. You have to be faithful in that and nobody can do that in their flesh. Guess what? Galatians 5.22, what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Faithfulness. That's the only place it can come from, is from God. It's love, and it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So here it is again, he's being faithful. Even though his master is telling him, you have grace to stay here, he's following because he's already committed. And they ask that, and he says, I know, keep silent, hold your peace. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. Jericho means moon city or fragrant. The Jordan means descender. He sent him on to descend further. He sent me on to the Jordan, but he said, as the Lord lives, notice his answer again, Lord first. Elijah second, your soul lives, I will not leave you. I've committed. So the two of them went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance uh, to view them from afar off as the King James, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. So they're standing by the Jordan. They're looking at it. Remember, the Jordan is a small creek like our creeks. It's not, unless it's flood season, it's not very wide. It's a smaller creek. Uh, and it says in verse 8, new beginnings. 8 is always the number of new beginnings. Now Elijah took his mantle. Now a mantle is like an outer cloak, your out coat. And it says rolled up in the New King James, but it's really wrapped it up is what the King James says. Uh, he took it and wrapped it up and he struck the water and it was divided this way and that way so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle right there. Dry ground underneath the water? Are you kidding me? Not just that it separated, but it was dry. That right there is a miracle, the consuming fire of God. Now listen, his mantle didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. Come on. Elijah has no power of his own. What did it? It was his faith in God. It was his faith in following God. 
It wasn't the mantle. It wasn't Elijah. It was faith. It's the same with you and me. If you remember some 500 years before, Joshua with the children of Israel was going across the Jordan with the second generation because the first generation hardened their heart. They didn't mix what they knew with faith, so they didn't get to go in. He said, I swear in my wrath, none of you will go in except for Caleb and Joshua. Both believed the report of God. Both believed the word of God. The other ones didn't, and none of them got to go in. They all died in the wilderness because they hardened their heart, and they didn't mix truth with faith. What happened? It was flood season, and they were told to go across the Jordan. Who went first? The priest carrying the ark. And the waters were there until the first priest, by faith, put his foot and touched that water. As soon as he touched the water, the water separated. But it has to be by faith. You have to step out. You have to start following. You have to make the commitment and do what you're called to do, regardless of the grace of God that you think, oh, I can just stay home this time, or I can just do this this time, or hey, who knows if I just click it over here or look over here. This is all grace. But when you commit and you stay committed because of your commitment and because Jesus is in you and you're in Christ, then there's great growth to walk on dry ground. But the priest had to step on the water first or the water wouldn't separate. By faith they went across into the promised land. Promised. It was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, everything. So now we're here again, and Elijah strikes it. They go across on dry ground. But it was faith in God's leading. Faith in God telling him to go across. Faith in where God was leading him to go. He's being led by the Spirit of God. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Uh-oh, look here. Look here what following does. Look here what commitment does. Now that he's followed by faith and he's committed and he didn't let the, the other things distract him, Elijah says, ask what you want and it'll be granted to you. Really? Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. See, it was hush-hush. Now Elijah's even saying, I'm getting ready to be taken from you. Since you've committed, since you've been faithful, since you're following... Now you can ask. It's the same thing with God. When he sees the heart, when he shows you your heart, when your heart begins to become like his heart, you know, he could have said, you know what, dude, I'd really like to have a big boat. I don't want to go across that water again. How about, how about if I get to be the head of all them prophets back there? How about if you give me a position, Elijah? This is the same thing that goes on in John 14 when Jesus is getting ready to leave. You know, they're in the upper room. He, he does the, they do the, the final Passover meal. He institutes the Lord's Supper. They go out of the upper room. They go down through the lower Jerusalem, through all the, the, the grape arbors, across the brook Kadron. They go up into the Garden of Gethsemane where, they're, where he's going to be met with a detachment of troops led by Judas. He's going to be betrayed with a kiss. He's going to be spit on and mocked and beaten, arrested, led away to Annas and then away to Caiaphas. Then he's going to be turned over to Pilate. He's going to be beaten and crucified. 
Listen to me. Jesus, before they do that, in John 14, he says to them, if you ask anything, 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Really? It's like swiping a credit card? It's like a genie? No. Name. In my name. Name means character, nature, and will. His authority. It's back to his headship. When your heart gets to doing what he's doing, see, in his name, he came to die for the sins of the world. In his name, he came to send you to tell people about it. When you begin to do it for his name, because of his kingdom, for his glory, then you can ask because your heart will be pure where you'll ask for things that line up with his will. So important because we do we treat prayer like, well, I asked God for a car and he didn't give me one, so I ain't serving him no more. Wait a minute, we're praying, we're coming before God in prayer to line our hearts up with what he's doing. He's testing our hearts, he's trying us, he wants us to commit and follow him to do what he's doing. Not hey genie, come here, come here, come here. My car quit, I need another one. That's not what we're doing here. We're in his kingdom, his house. We're his children. He died for us. We don't deserve anything. And yet he give us life and that more abundantly. So we need to learn to pray and then say, not my will, but your will be done. What, what do I need to do? How do I get this where I can ask and actually receive is that I get in line with what his spirit's doing. And I watch where he's working at. And I pray for other people's lives. It doesn't mean I don't pray for myself, but I pray for other people's salvation. Because that we know is the will of God. That none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. So He says, pray in my name. That doesn't mean you have to say in Jesus' name. It means your heart needs to be lined up with the kingdom of God. And the glory of God. So He tells him to ask. Isn't that cool? Because you've committed, you've followed, you've been a faithful follower, a faithful disciple. And even when I was telling you you could stay and play, you followed because you committed. You're loyal. Elisha said, it's 9b, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Notice what he asked for. Listen, people, have you have a relationship with the spirit of God? It's the spirit of God that hovered over the face of the deep. It's the spirit of God that Jesus sent back to conform us. And what does he want? He wants a double portion. Now, this is a little different. He's not asking to be greater than Elijah. He's following the law. In Deuteronomy 21, 17, it says that the firstborn son gets a double portion of inheritance. All he's wanting is as the firstborn, the first prophet that followed Elijah, he's his son in the faith. He's wanting a double portion of what Elijah, now it just so happens, that Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah. But he wasn't asking for to be greater than him. He was just asking to get the double inheritance that goes to the firstborn son. Jesus got it. And he gives it to us. He shares it with us. We are now joint heirs with Christ. He took one of the, one of the inheritances that he got, the double portion, is ours. We're joint heirs with him. That's the law in Deuteronomy 21, 17 of the firstborn. He gets a double portion because he becomes head of the family when the father's gone. 
Elijah's getting ready to leave. Elisha gets a double portion and becomes head of the prophets for the northern kingdom. Now, make this, a, make this, a, riddle me this, Batman. Somebody said, the northern kingdoms are apostate. They're serving golden calves, and they got prophets that know what's going on. See, God's always got a remnant. They've got the greatest prophet, Elijah and Elisha. They had Micaiah when we closed out 1 Kings. Remember, Micaiah told uh, um, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, don't go to war against Syria. He said, I've seen all of Israel laying on the fields. And they put him in prison for speaking the truth, which is what's going on now. That's why we know it's a spiritual war. Right now, people are being put in jail for speaking truth. Not just the word of God. Just tell the truth about what's going on with the, with the government. And they'll put you in Facebook jail. They'll put you in jail somewhere. They'll silence you. And it's not cancel culture. This is annihilation culture. Either you celebrate their sin or they are going to do away with you. Oh, you're just panicking, Greg. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Wake up to what's going on. It's the devil's government. It always has been. Doesn't matter who is the president. They're all underneath the sway of the wicked one. And some of them have some of them have better policies that seem to be better. But none of them have what Jesus has. Jesus has the best government. To his government, there's no end. We can serve him for eternity and be underneath his love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what we do right now will be judged by, even as Christians, our works is going to decide where we rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom. I better keep going. We're going to be in trouble here. It's already midnight. So he asked for a double portion. Isn't that interesting? So verse 10, he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. Notice they're continuing. They're abiding. They're remaining. They're talking. There's a relationship going on still. Father and son. The mantle's being handed but there's a father and son going on. And I wish I could finish this chapter, people, but we've ran out of time. Suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Are you kidding me? See, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And there's getting ready to be what's called a whirlwind. It's called the harpazo, the great snatching away, that God's going to come and snatch away the church. Remember that in 1 Thessalonians? And the Thessalonians were worried about their loved ones that had died and had been put in the grave. And he says, let not your heart be... Or, oh, that's a different verse. He said, uh, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. But the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll be with him always, and we're to encourage one another with these sayings. We're to encourage one another that the rapture is getting ready to happen. We have types of it in the Old Testament. Right here, Elijah, living for God, training men for God. He's, he's passing the mantle to Elisha, and he's taken in a whirlwind. 
and Elisha saw it. Oh, wait a minute. That was the fleece, wasn't it? If you see it, you get a double portion. And it says he saw it. And he cried out. Look what he cries out. My father, my father. Why is he calling him father? Because he's the firstborn of Elijah. Just what we were just talking about. He's his head. He's calling him father. That was their relationship. It's like he was the father. He was training and teaching him. That's the way it's supposed to be in the church where older men teach younger men. But we've allowed it to be flipped upside down where we're younger men are teaching older men. And, and younger men, I'm not being mean against younger men, but younger men are trying to teach new things. See, there's new methods, but the word of God never changes. The enemy has snuck in, and he's sown some bad seed in the church. Because we're not discipling men. We're not following headship. We don't follow the order of God and the authority of God, and anybody gets to be the head instead of those that God has called to be the head. My father, my father! The chariot of Israel and its horsemen so he saw him no more, and he took hold of his clothes, and he tore them into pieces, two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah, which had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan, probably going, man, my father just left and went to be with Jesus, just like God's word said. And I got his mantle here. It fell, and I seen it, so now I'm going to have a double portion. How's that going to work? You know, Jesus did some great works, but he said that we would do greater works. Isn't that interesting? 14. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that way, and Elisha crossed over. Notice it's not a magic wand. Notice he did not think the power was in the mantle. He asked, he spoke to, where is the Lord of Elijah? He wants the same relationship. He's speaking to the Lord God of Elijah. He knows that it's in the Lord God, not in Elijah. He knows it's the Lord God, not in his mantle. Listen, don't follow people. Don't follow signs. Follow the Lord God of Israel. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Double portion of it, actually. But they didn't hear that conversation. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, this was not worship. This was called respect, humility. They were not worshiping. They were respecting his authority. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord had taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. Now it's kind of strange, isn't it? When they were telling him, Your master is going to be taken today. But why are they searching for his body? Because we all know that when someone dies, their spirit goes to be with God, but their body we bury. Listen to me. But Elijah left, so they're thinking his body could be somewhere up on the mountain and they need to bury it. His spirit's gone. 
But what happened with Enoch? He was walking with God and God took him. Body and spirit, everything. What happens now with Elijah? Walking with God, walking there with Elisha, he'd been discipling. God took him, body and all. Because they're going to go search and he's going to say, didn't I tell you not to go search? They made him feel ashamed. So he says, okay, go look for him. So what's going on here? I don't know. But I do know that Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for man to die once. Then comes the judgment. Enoch and Elijah haven't died. They got their bodies with them still. It's a type of rapture. See, the rapture says that we who are alive and remain, 1 Corinthians 15, I think, but we'll be taken in a twinkling of an eye and our, and our corruptible body will put on an incorruptible body. We'll be taken. So it's a type of the rapture. They urged him to his ashamed, and he said, Send them! And the 50 men searched for three days. They didn't find him. And did it. he said, Did I not say to you, do not go? But they made him feel bad about it, and they got him to change his mind. Now, I wanted to finish this. I'm not going to finish this. Uh, we'll pick up in 2.19 next week. But notice again on the theme, I want you to get the theme. Elijah discipling Elisha. The next generation of the church would be the sons of the prophets. But we're going to see the people of Bethel come out. These men, they're young men. It says children in the King James, but really they could be anywhere from 12 to 30 years old. And they start mocking Elisha. You can read it, and we'll talk about it next week. And Elisha pronounced it. They called him Ballhead. Be careful what you say about my head. And Elisha pronounces a curse upon him. And two female bears come out and maul 42 of them and kill them. Remember what we're talking about when you respect the man of God. You respect the word of God. You respect the office of God. You respect the headship of God. And the reason our churches are so weak and anemic and the witness of God is so weak in, in, our, in our culture is because we do not respect headship. We do not respect authority. In fact, that's what the whole defund the police is about. Lawlessness will abound, Jesus said when I come. Get rid of all of this authority. Let's rewrite authority. Who said to do it this way anyway? God did. But let's change it all. Let's do it our way. We'll be the authority. We'll build our own tower of Babel. We'll have our own authority. We'll make a tower up to heaven. And God said, no. In the day that you do, you shall surely die. We see it still going, though. God allows that. But one day he's going to judge all that with fire. Whose authority are you under? It's so important to be under authority, to know who your covering is, to know who your head is, and to know who you're following. If not, you're aimlessly going about looking for a leader. You're aimlessly going back trying to be a leader and nobody following you. Who is your head? Yes, Jesus is our covering. He's the one that died for us. That he's give us instruction of what the church is supposed to be doing. And we all just do, just like the book of Judges. We do what's right in our own eyes. Because there's no king in the land. Just do what you want to do. It's not going to work out good. Because many are going to follow the world's government. 
which is under confusion. It's underneath the sway of the wicked one, and it's leading them to death. But the prudent, they foresee evil, and they hide themselves under the wings of Jesus, under the wings of God. In the kingdom of God, we are hidden. And he's coming to get us soon. I pray that you're hidden where you need to be. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the foundation of the Old Testament that has everything about the New Testament hidden in it. Help us to seek it out, search it out, to spend time with you. And Lord, help us to, to be tested and tried and to see what you're showing us is in our heart and to confess it before you so that your fire will burn it out. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.